G'day and welcome to the Machinist Therapy Hotline. This is episode 45 and man, have we got an interesting person as a guest this week. Uh, not that our other guests weren't interesting, but this one should be a doozy. Um, but before we introduce him, let's make sure that we have possibly the sexiest man on earth, Tony Klauser. I thought you were going to say Harry Boomer because we all know it ain't me. <laughs> but I am here, by the way. <laughs> Shane Paul. Yo, yo. And me, Jody Tuckwell. So, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. <whistles> hey, everyone. How are we doing? Good. How you doing, man? Very, very good. Um, Super. This week, we've got Aaron Morrill, uh, CNC repairman, CNC specialist, other lover dover. <laughs> Welcome, brother. Thank, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's lovely to be here. We're really glad you could take the time out to come and talk to us today. Oh, it was hard, man. I left six customers waiting. Well, we're worth it, I think. It should be fun. Our listeners are worth it, I reckon. Well, well, hopefully while they're waiting, they have them nice little fancy screens over their fan of lower motors keeping all the gunk out of their CNC cabinet. That's yeah. if they were running or if they had them. <laughs> I think I need some of those in my shop big time. Yeah, nah, they'll keep the crap out, that's for sure. Well, freaking Hank's in charge is supposed to be able to keep the regular filters clean, but he's slacking on that. So maybe if I just put one of them roll-up ones on there... He could walk by and rip one off on his way to the shitter. Hey, <laughs> it'll work to wipe it up. That's for sure. Nice. So, Aaron, you, yes. um, you, you on Instagram, you're CNC repairman, and uh, daily we see horror shows of maintenance issues that you are repairing and resolving and helping out with. That's uh, That seems to be the thing that keeps you busy. Absolutely. And I, I don't know if I should let this secret out, but the stuff you guys see every day is probably six months old. I, I have a photo album full. It, it'll, I'll never do it all. Wow. And so how long um, how long have you been doing this, if you don't mind us asking? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a young one. I was born in 95. So I'm only 25. And I can say that I have been doing this for about 20 years. <laughs> Wow. So, a lot of overtime. <laughs> <laughs> did you um is this is this part of a family business or did you just like from the get go, like when you were five years old, go, Do you know what? I just want to fix CNC machines. No, no, when I was five years old I think I wanted to play in the dirt outside and my dad was like, Nope, you're coming to work with me. <laughs> Crawl inside the machine and get me that wrench. nice that sounds like a pretty good role model to me now when you started out did you ever have to hold the flashlight for your dad oh yeah man i i learned how to do that correctly (laughs) that's very important (laughs) so so talk i mean obviously we don't want to start i guess when you're five years old unless you want to talk us through your whole life story from there but that might be quite a long story but uh, <laughs> we'll maybe on episode 95 for you know <laughs> <it>. <laughs> why, why don't you um why don't you sort of run us through where 
where it all began for you, like where your journey in this industry really, really began, and unless it did really start when you were five. Oh, oh he had yeah, yeah, out of his mom's vagina first. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, of course, yeah, you're right, that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. crucial. Yeah, you can't hold a flashlight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so long. You know, everybody says long story short. My my dad was a service tech. Um, been going on a service tech for 50 years now. So I kind of wow. grew up with him. I homeschooled. I didn't go to a you know everyday school, and I just worked with him every single day for a really long time. Been all over the country with him, and so went to college, took electronics, worked all through school, and then I've just been running full time ever since. And it's it's a blast. Like it's nice to have electronics background, a little bit of a machining and mechanical background, but I like helping people, and I like fixing their problems and usually their problem is not a broken machine it's i'm freaking out i don't know what to do i gotta i gotta do this by friday or that does that make sense that's what i love about it yeah it does make yeah. sense totally it does make sense but let me just pick up on so uh so you were homeschooled is that is that was that just a decision by your parents or was it because you were located in a really like a far out rural spot or, or what was what was the decision making for that no, my mother was a school teacher, and then when she was younger, before she had me and my siblings, and so she just liked to homeschool us, and my father's business that he ran was actually out of our house, and so it was easy for me to just work with him all the time, and it wasn't every single day, but all summers, and a lot of the trips that he went on, I went on, and so it was just easy to work with him, I and mean, as soon as I turned 16, it was like, all right, here's a car, go fix this machine, you know what to do, and I went to one military base once, and I think I was 18, and I went into the base, and I went to security, we went on place, and the guy looked at me and goes, you're here to fix my machine, and you aren't even old enough to drink a beer. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I mean, that can be the mentality of some people, I guess, but I mean, at the end of the day, you're, the, oh, hold on, so is that your phone, is it, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, oh. You might have to mute all of that stuff, yeah. Yep, it's done, done. Cool. So, I mean, um. You know, turning up one, I guess, turn up at a military base. I mean, that's already a story in itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty normal. I do a fair bit of like military work. Um, there's an air base here in our town that we've contracted for for a long time. And so it's no different equipment than the other stuff that I work on. And so you just go to the base and they run your license and you can give you a visitor path. It's not crazy complicated. And, and where, where, where are you located? Spokane, Washington. So Everybody thinks of Seattle and they think of Washington, but Spokane's right next to Idaho. We're like 20 miles from the border, and it's pretty nice out here. Everybody is pretty country, and everybody carries guns, and we're, we're not the crazy Democratic other people on the other side of the state. Now, that's where everybody from California is leaving and going to, and I just saw on the news today that Idaho is thinking about changing, or somebody's thinking about changing the size of the state and reaching out a little bit into Oregon and Washington and Northern California and calling it like Superior Idaho or I don't know, Idaho, <laughs> I'm the ho or some shit like that. But it, it's it's in the works. Have you heard about that? Oh, there's been a bunch of stuff. Excuse me there. I've done, talked to some people who are pushing for like Washington state to split in half. So they call it a Liberty state. And that takes like half or three quarters of Congress to do that. And that's I think it's very unlikely that anything like that will ever happen around here. Oh, I see. So you've been in a military base, but I've talked to uh, a couple of techs that's actually gone into prisons. Have you ever worked on any machines in prisons? Um, one of our employees, did. my dad has a couple other technicians that I've learned a lot from. 
I, I mean, I can't. None of it is my own. I've learned from some great guys, but we have done work on military or sorry prisons, and it's yeah. They from the, what they told me, it was pretty sketchy. They basically locked them in the the, the room in the machine shop. Yeah, this guy that I had talked to, he uh, was going to work on one of their CNCs, and uh, they were actually the the prisoners were in there with this guy, and they were explaining and breaking it down to him what was wrong with it and and, and going through the diagnostics. But uh, I mean, there was you know these guys had murdered people. He had said they actually told their stories to him, and it was like, but he felt not threatened by any means at all because this was their baby. This is what they loved to do. They wanted their machine going again, and they were giving him the the troubleshooting of what was wrong with it. And once they got it up and going again, he was like Jesus, and he walked out of there, and they were super happy. Yeah, that's it, there's a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment from fixing machines and helping people. I bet that I find. I just I, I it gets me up in the morning, go to another broken machine. Do you, yeah, do you I have, agree. Do, do you have uh, a particular machine type that you one always fix or two like fixing? Uh, I would say yes to ones that I like fixing, fixing, and no <laughs> to a particular one. So what, not, what? What are they? What are they? Anything somebody will pay me to work on. <laughs> good answer <laughs> very good answer i remember i remember when i was having some problems with my haas well not today problems but a few months ago problems when i can't remember what it was doing it was i couldn't change a tool or some shit like that and it was one of them valves that were sticky or some shit that needed to be replaced and somebody i was talking to uh one of the guys on instagram and he says hey you need to talk to this guy and that was you and then you had that valve thingamajigger in stock and sent it down to me and i replaced it and was back in business in two days you remember what i'm talking about yeah it was a tool release piston quick exhaust valve you're probably talking with jeff um that's right yep Yep. you're correct the the machine shop world between operators is tight-knit but the service world in my opinion is even more tight-knit because you know, you're, people you're change right. from different OEMs and, you know, you call up so-and-so to help you, even if oh, it's a competitor, because we're all we're all in this together. Yeah, you're right. And everybody knows everybody. But he's like, he's the one that turned me on to you. And he's like, oh, you know, I love this kid. Hit this guy up. He's got what you need. And I'm like, sweet. Yep. Yep. A lot of times I find people are just less interested in the how to other than just give me the part and let me keep on going. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> And and do you do you find that you fix predominantly Haas machines? Yes, but only because there are predominantly Haas machines everywhere. Yeah. No, I I'm I, I yeah, sorry, that wasn't a loaded question. I wasn't gonna no, end no, it no, with no. because <laughs> or whatever. But um yeah, gotcha. I figured that that's probably the case. You know, there there must be just always lots of Haas machines around America, obviously being an American machine tool company. There are. It, I like working on. Sorry, something else. Dang it! I like working on other machines besides Haas. New machines, other OEMs, Japanese, and sometimes they're easier to work on. <laughs> sometimes, you know, the drawings are a little better, the electrical schematic. But it's also you get used to what you're working on every day, and you can walk in and fix something because you've seen it 30 times before. Mm, right. Yeah, right. That makes sense. And like with. You know, you getting into this. So sorry, you, so your dad. You know, your dad was also doing this. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that what he said? That's correct. Yep. And is he still doing it? He is still doing it in the field every week with me. Sometimes he's in the office with us, but 
he, the, the guy's like a legend. He's just been doing it a really long time. And, no. and how many people are in the company like other than you and your dad, or is it just you two? No, we've got two other technicians. We had one retire and another one left a couple of years ago. So it's not a real big company, but it's a fine line between having too many people and not having enough customers. So you don't want them to wait, but you want to get there as fast as possible, if that makes sense. True that. It totally makes sense. So when we started talking at the beginning of this podcast, you said you just got back from the East Coast. Does that mean you guys will go anywhere, any place that needs help? Yeah. Yep. I'll go anywhere somebody wants to pay me to go. And it's not 100% of the time, but yeah, I've done some fun jobs all over Montana, Idaho. Um, well, I did a, did a job okay. in Afghanistan a couple summers ago. Jesus. Well, so break this down for me. So if you're out here in Washington and, and, and somebody needs help in Florida, why wouldn't they just search locally versus, I mean, well, I don't know how your system works, but I do know how other people's systems work. And I would think that they would want somebody that was closer because I had a particular problem. I'm not going to drop the name with a bar feeder one time. And they, they started charging me travel time from the, the where he left his last job. So he happened to be in Washington, had to fly to Sacramento. I had to drive in Sacramento over to Ukiah. He had a rental car. He had to stop for lunch. He had to fix my machine and he had to leave. All said and done, he was there for 20 minutes. It was 3,500 bucks. Yep. Yep. That's that's hard. I, I've. I've had some jobs like that where a guy wants me to come fix something and I told him how to do it over the phone. He didn't want to do it. And it's like, well, it's going to be this amount for me to come and see you. Some jobs, we've got some customers around the States who like us. We've done a bunch of work. We've repaired their stuff remotely. Um, they've sent us their circuit boards and I've rebuilt them. And so it's just better for me to go out there and see them, but not for small jobs. This is big stuff. Right. Go ahead. So, I mean, how, how on earth did you get to travel to Afghanistan to fix a machine. So, like I said, it's all who you know. We we bid a job to do some maintenance on a machine on a base over there, and we bid it like six, seven years ago, and it just brewed and brewed and brewed and brewed, and finally they wanted it done. And so I got a contractor's visa. It was a nightmare. And flew charter plane from Dubai into Bagram Air Base for a couple other air bases and had a hell of a time. It was fun, but it was fun. I did a couple of days of maintenance on a little machine and flew home. Wow, that's awesome. You must have uh, – how long were you there for? I was there for three days. You'll, get, you'll laugh at this. I landed. It's a nightmare to get off of the plane and to go through the customs. This is an air base called Bagram. There's probably a bunch of military guys who've been there. This was a big heyday back in the Iraq war. There was thousands of people there. And land, go through all the humble jumble. They take me into the little like shack where I'm staying. It literally has concrete walls all the way around it that are tied together with a metal cable. And then the roof is armored. And the middle of the night, some, oh, they had a funny name for it. I don't remember what they called the locals. Started shooting grenades over the wall. And they set up a couple of jets and started shooting it down. And the alarms went off. It was nuts. What? Oh, oh yeah. It was, it was wild. Wow. Good Did you have a fear for your safety when you were there? No, no, not really. I mean, the next morning we got up, we're driving down the road, and there's a truck on the side that like got hit by a grenade, and they're like, "Well, guess it wasn't that truck's time or something." And the guys are, are pretty <laughs> glossed over about it. Jesus, it's a good thing you weren't over there when Trump dropped the mother of all bombs. That would have been yeah. bad. Yep. I got a question for you. Yeah, what's Being up? Being the yeah, service guy that you are. Go ahead. No, I mean, 
This is, uh, I mean, I think about this a lot, and I have, obviously I have my own shop with a bunch of machines in it, a bunch of older machines. Matter of fact, people are calling them vintage at this point. But um, I'm going to ask you, just be honest with me, how important do you think, or is it really necessary, depending on what brands and machines you have? But I mean, do people really need to do yearly you know, preventive maintenance on their machines. I mean, do you really need to change the hydraulic fluid and the, and the filters and such? Or if everything's running fine, can you just leave it alone and be status quo and keep making good parts and grease your chuck and, and be good with I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that are probably on the fence about, ah, you don't really need to do that. Or, oh, no, it's really important. And I'm one that really doesn't know either way. So if you can let me know about that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to kind of give you both sides of the coin on that one. Um, we've got some customers here locally who don't do a dime of maintenance, wouldn't spend a dollar on it, but they'll spend 10, 12 grand to buy a new spindle on three machines when they fail, you know, because downtime is worth more to them than the maintenance costs. So they'd rather just buy the new replacement part, put it in the next day and keep on going. So there's mm. that mentality. Uh, I think for the customers who choose to do yearly maintenance, they're the shops who their operators don't clean anything. They're in a rough condition place. And so they just want it to be totally out of hand, like out of mind. I know my machines are taken care of. They come in and get a biannual maintenance or a one-year thing, and I can keep track of the ball bars. I can keep track of when things need to be replaced so that I can plan for downtime versus the shop who says, oh, you know, everything looks good this year. Everything looks good next year. Everything looks good next year. And then all of a sudden, they realized that they had a lube problem, and for the last three years, none of the ball screws have been getting lubed. All of the ways are shot. Mm. The ball screws are shot. Mm -hmm. You know, no. If you're gonna do maintenance on it yourself and not have preventative, that's okay. Hire someone out, but you gotta you gotta stay on top of it. Cause yeah, the oil doesn't need to be changed every year. But if you change it every year, you don't worry about going five years and not changing it, and clogging a pump, and then burning up your chuck actuator. Yeah, you know what? And time, time is a crazy thing, and it goes by super fast. You know, and I just went through that with one of my screw machines. Um, she's back up and running now for the last two days. But I had an issue with that bar feeder again. We lost a, a motor, the indexing motor that flicks the bar up and into the channel. Mm -hmm. And so then I quit running it and moved all my work over to the other screw machine. And while I was doing that, and I turned around, and went back to that machine, and I powered it up to do something, and it woke up and it said. Uh, batteries were dead, lost all of its zeros, didn't know where the fuck it was. That's and amazing. so here I am with, I'm, I'm with a machine that's just basically worthless at this point. So I get new batteries in, I, I have a tech that helps me re-zero, re-home everything, re get their zero returns right, and then, okay, the machine's working now, but the bar feeder's still not working, and so I order a freaking new motor, and I have a, a guy talking me through it on the phone on how to change it, and, and so it's up and going, but when you're, you know, I even left myself, well, Hank left himself a freaking note in the battery cabinet. I went and replaced the batteries, but it doesn't do you any good when you leave it in the battery cabinet. You never open the battery cabinet. <laughs> I tell guys. <laughs> That's the truth, man. I tell people, make a reminder, set, like first week of December, change your batteries on your phone. And just auto email, auto remind, because what will happen is you'll forget. You'll take a week off before Christmas. You'll come in after mm -hmm. the New Year's, and guess what? All your machines are dead. Yeah, I've heard that too, and I've also heard people doing it when the time changes because they can. I mean, they're just automatic. They would know 
it, hey, it's time to put a new battery in and because of the time change. But yeah, of course, then the, the time changes twice. So yeah. if you did a, a December, that probably make more sense. Yeah. Um, it's, oh, here's a question for you. Another one, mm-hmm. real quick, because I'm I'm just really baffling me. So say yeah, I, I didn't want to be didn't want to be caught in a pickle, and so I call Fanuc or Funuc, whatever the fuck you want to call them, America, and I order some more batteries. So I'm ready for this because now they can't ship a mare. You know, well, mm-hmm. eh, well, that's another different story. You know what? LNS can ship their batteries there, but <laughs> I know I, I don't know. even understand how that works. But anyway, not to go off on a tangent. So <laughs> would it make sense for me to buy the batteries, keep them here, and when it says time for battery change, change them, or are they going to go bad sitting on my shelf, or are they still sitting on their shelf just the same, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, they 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 have a shelf life. The lithium batteries do, and also the alkaline batteries have a shelf life. It depends on what type of memory you're backing up as to what type of voltage. You got the one and a half volt cells, and you have the larger cells. Um, side note: well, what Don't would change you your do? You? I mean, okay, yeah, yeah. Would, Back to this. Would, would you buy? I mean, would you? Would it be stupid for me to buy them and put them on my shelf and they don't work? Or if I buy them from them and they've been on their shelf too long? I mean, I don't think they would send me something that was questionable would they I, I, I get my uh, i get my batteries repacked so we leave the machine on send them there to the guy down the road and he he repacks all the batteries and then sends them back and we plug them back in and we're good to go again jody that works great until a lightning storm happens while he's getting <laughs> <laughs> i know this is uh, true. i, I hear what you're saying packing your batteries the machine's not working <laughs> <laughs> oh. you pack a battery anyway jody I don't know. I'm not a battery packer. I just, I know there's a guy down the road called Battery Master. So we basically, I take the, we take the batteries out, I send them to him, and then the next day he's he's basically repacked the batteries and sends me back another pa- battery pack. And it's That'd like nice. so what you're what you're telling me is there's a difference between a battery packer and a fudge packer. Oh, I knew you were gonna go there. Yeah, I think there is Tony. Yeah, I think uh, there is a difference. Check. <laughs> so sorry aaron go on you're gonna carry on doing this oh question. no you're fine uh does hank know how to use a voltmeter no he he just he takes it out and touches the two probes together and watches it go woo woo and that's puts his tongue on him <laughs> make sure you put it in the mega mode and then grab both okay. probes all right the batteries are, are going to go dead maybe over five or six years if you sat them on the shelf oh that's a long time yeah all right We've Sorry, been bailed it. out a few times by Batteries Plus. They'll they'll have like some of the Mitsubishi batteries. They got the weird little lead coming off of them. Yeah, that's what goes in the LNS bar feeders. No shit. Yeah, yeah. We just go to Batteries Plus and get them. I know a guy who got a six volt motorcycle tender charger, wired it right up to his Fanuc control, and then he he put a battery on top of it so that it was just always on and always had a charger on it. That's yeah, awesome. And, we uh we've Pretty been smart. um we've we've hooked up like a, a DC power supply yep to ours before in a pinch let it sit there over the weekend just sitting on the power supply well that's awesome I, I mean, that's a good idea too but one thing I noticed was my older stars at 2007 and it takes those expensive batteries from Fanuc and the newer stars at 2012 and it just takes fucking D cells from Home Depot I I don't even understand how that works you want me to get technical about it or just move on no get no, technical. I, I'll listen yeah get technical yeah so basically the batteries are doing two things depending on the type of control they're either backing up the bbu which is battery backed up memory 
or they're backing up the encoder counts from the encoder. So even when you turn the machine off, the machine, part of the memory is still on, and it's keeping track of the pulses on the motors. So even if you went and grabbed the ball screw while it was off, turned the ball screw 10 times or a half a time, turned the machine back on, it would read the correct position on the screen. Mm-hmm. And some of, some of that memory, the chips, some of them run off of 3.3 volts, which would be a lithium cell. And some of them run off of 5 volts, and some of them run off of 3, but it's the alkaline, so the, you know, the Duracell batteries, and they put two of them in series in parallel with three other ones or four other ones so that they can get the right voltage. So the, the type of battery, the chemistry, doesn't matter. It's still electrons flowing, but it's the voltage and the type of memory that it's backing up that matters. Wow, I understood that perfectly. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> that, it makes a lot of sense, actually, because, I mean, that's exactly what I got going on. And the one machine has got two D cells, and yet it requires less maintenance than the one that has the highfalutin Fanuc batteries. But it's basically doing the same thing. And it's, yeah, I mean, my older Akumas, they have batteries in them, too, that always, you know, back up the stuff, too. But, I mean, I have to change those, like, every seven years. But it's really weird. A lot of people wouldn't even know that shit was going on in the background. Like you said, you, you know, if you move it and it knows where it's at because... Once it loses track of where it's at, you get all jacked up in a heartbeat. 1815, yep, on the Fanex side. Oh, yeah. Hey, Aaron, if, yeah. you, um, if you could only ever fix one machine for the rest of your life, what type of machine would it be? Ooh, that is a super nice question. I just, it, okay, it would probably be a Kitamura. Why? Their service... Their drawings and their electrical schematic is top-notch. There are some other Japanese brands that are up there, but I've had great experience with the Kitamuras. And would you have one particular type as well? Like, would it be, you know, uh, you know, do you prefer fixing laves or do you prefer fixing oh, mills? Or Okay. I, I like laves. I think they're more fun. They're more complex in the geometry. Five-axis is fun, but that Kitamura doesn't make a lathe. So I, I love laves. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Mills, okay. m- most people don't. Most people blame the mill when it's really not the mill. It's tooling, fixturing, or programming. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. And um, if okay, now we go back one one other question. So, what is the absolute worst customer experience you've ever had? Like one that you just go, I know exactly the one. This is the story I got to tell you. What 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 is the the worst customer experience you've ever had? Ooh. Actually, that could be a split question. It could be a customer-based question, or it could be the worst machine you've ever had to fix. Okay, give me a second. Might not be both, you know. I'm not sure. He's going for his photos right now. <laughs> I, I'm trying to dig it up. Um, we try not to deal with worst customers. Like, <laughs> yeah. We just send them to somebody else. <laughs> but surely, like, you don't know that if they're a new customer, you know? Like, they could be... Hey, CNC repairman, I saw how amazeballs you are on Instagram. I want you to come around. And then you get there, and the guy's a total shithead. And you're like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to probably say it's like a, a job where, let's say, I repaired his processor or somebody's electronics in their machine. So they'll, especially on the older Haas machines, they'll send them to me, and I can rebuild the processor sometimes the memory chips are bad or some other chips on it are bad so i can fix those and you send it out and it's 
a nice guy, but he's in his 70s or 80s. He's running a machine shop full of equipment that he thinks is worth a million. And, you know, he bought it broken in 2005, and it's a 1995 machine. And you ask him to do something, and it's over the phone, right? And it's like, or you ask him a question, and he'll do anything but answer your question. And then you talk with him, like, six times in a row. Or this this can be local customers, too. Hey, how how this happen? Oh, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Are you there a day or two, and all of a sudden you get the full story down the road? It's like, why didn't you just tell me that when I walked in the door? It would have saved me some time. Right. True. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 that's that was one particular person that you'd you'd met that did that to you. Yeah. Or that, oh, yeah. Or, or, or that happens often. Yeah. I can think of a couple of people where it's like you're trying to. I do a lot of phone support. I try to help people over the phone, especially if I'm busy and I can't get somewhere. And I've got different customers. Some people are like, nope, don't, don't, don't ask me, you know, how to fix it to show up. Other people want some help. And you ask them a question, they won't answer your question. Yes or no? Is it happening? Yes. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm looking over here. You know, I've had to learn. People get upset at me if I walk in and I don't look at what they think is the problem, even though mm. I know that's not the problem. Right. Yeah, I could see that. They could kind so, of like. They probably think that they've got this thing just cornered, and here you are. So look here, and you don't even go there, even though you could just walk by and entertain them a little bit by glancing at it. Yep, yep. I, I've learned from a few other older techs and from my father that the tech who walks in, stands in front of the control, and you know plays with his beard for an hour. <laughs> and, and I know a guy like this. He, the guy's a wizard. He'll sit there and just look at the control. He'll push a button and fix the machine and leave. But the guy who walks in, runs around the machine, climbs on top, runs around the machine, climbs on top, calls for people, pulls out the book, is there four hours. The guy's as happy as can Lark can be because he thinks something's getting done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're that's saying. That's true. I mean, yeah. so that, that's the kind of thing I've had to learn, how to, how to please the customer, how to please somebody, even in a way that I'm not pleasing. Or somebody who wants me to fix this because this is where the problem is, <laughs> but there are four other broken things. And they won't let me fix them, even though I know those are part of the problem. That's really hard. Yeah, you know, it's what you're saying with, I mean, it's, I won't say newer machines, but new, you know, not new, new, but even newer machines. It's like when the guy that you're calling the wizard is standing there pulling his little beard like the guy on Kill Bill that trained what's her name. Uh, I kind of see that as being boomer when he walks in in the morning and, and the machine is crashed and then. And they're just like, I don't know, man, it just happened. And he's sitting there, one on his little goatee, looking at all the alarms and the time <laughs> of when it happened. And he can see exactly what the alarm is and who was actually on the machine. And what these little cocksuckers don't know is that this thing's keeping track of everything. everything. It even it's, it even tells you when you hit e-stop, go home at night and power down the machine. I mean, that's all logged in there. And the average operator doesn't know that but once i mean if you get somebody that you trust and you're going to keep around for a while and you know like you show him and and they're like you know look i want you to come clean with me because if you bump the turret or you bump the spindle or you do something we need to you know make sure that we're still lined up so we can rock and roll let me know and some of the guys that try to hide that man and they don't know about it it's there the info's there documentation's there they're just like pulling yep. away when you come say hey man you what happened about 9:45 last night yeah here's a not so happy story. I I make mistakes, man. I big time do. But this one I had to own up. I went out to look at a lathe. They were complaining about the turret. 
someone had hung a boring bar, used a long boring bar as a short boring bar, hung it out the back side of the tool holder. Mm. Oh, Index, no. Index, yeah. all right. oh, no. Indexed it all the way around and bent the gears inside of it. Now, okay, did I say boring bar? It may have been a live tool holder for a <laughs> larger lathe. Anyhow, they both happen. <laughs> oh, so, no. That does suck, but I've seen that happen to a brand new lathe that never even ran yet down at SpaceX, and the guy that was going to hire me did that. That was pretty insane. <laughs> All the spastic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop the podcast. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, I'm here. Where can people find you at on Instagram and YouTube? can find me at cnc repairman on instagram on facebook on youtube and i have my own domain cnc repairman hey there you go and aaron what's your what's the what would you say is your top five things that you must do if you own a cnc machine go oh please clean out the chips from underneath the way covers please chips. make sure your spindle fan is running spindle <laughs> Make sure your windows are clear and the oil is out of your coolant. Not smashed windows. Yeah, yep. And make sure that your lubrication tank is full and emptying. Not just full, but going down and then filling it up. Keep keep your keep your lube on. That's right. That's hey, how you fall Aaron. things. Aaron, oh, yeah, Hank what's up? Here. Uh, Hank, does Hank need a bigger hammer with his gearbox making a ruckus or does he just need to call you? No, he just needs to call me and install a gear shift solenoid. And if that one doesn't work, you take the bigger hammer and you punch a hole through an orifice, make it like 60 wow. thousandths, and then it'll <laughs> stick it, fix it absolutely every time. That sounds perfect. <laughs> okay, let's get on with the podcast. <laughs> I am um, terrible feeling. I've got this. It uh, is. I've got this bloody. Uh, well, I haven't put it in the machine yet. You might have seen that massive uh, long boring bar that I bought, the mm-hmm. 1.5 meter boring bar, and it's to go in the Doosan 5100. But to put it in, it has a like a split clamp uh, system, which also has to be screwed onto the casting of. Uh, of the of the machine, so oh. you have to try. You have to lock out the turret because you've got one half of the holder on the turret, and the other half is on the casting of the machine, so that you can have this one meter overhang. And honestly, I'm I'm actually sort of semi scared about doing that because I just I have this feeling that you know it only takes one accidental press of a button for you to basically wreck your entire machine. Yeah, yeah, I bet that thing would take out a window in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, it would. <laughs> <laughs> but just to correct you, Tony, I actually think that when Boomer goes into uh, into his shop, I don't think he strokes his beard. I think he twists his nipples in front of the controller. He just stands there twisting his nipples, looking at it and going, hmm, I know something's not quite right here. That's exactly what I do. And then I... Aaron probably knows, but on a Mazak, there there's a thing called privilege mode, one one three one, and you go through a series of steps and you enter the code, and then it opens up two additional alarm pages on the alarm history, and it's your all your overloads are saved there indefinitely. 
So you can look through the the short alarm history and not see anything, and then you go into this mode and it opens up the two additional pages, and there it is. Huh. Now, did you, did you say overloads or overlords? Servo overloads. Oh, Servo okay. overlord. <clears throat> so, Aaron, you're um, would you say that you are better than your dad now at fixing machinery? <laughs> Of course, Jody goes there. <laughs> He's not even half as old or a third of the old, whatever. It hey, it's just to see how confident people are. <laughs> on on certain jobs that I have done more recently than him, he'll absolutely call me. Um, <laughs> okay. Or vice versa. You know what's hilarious is is my father actually taught CNC programming for a while in a community college in California, the Bay Area, was where he was from. And I've met a few guys since then who took from him, but Where he is way, be- way better at programming than I am. I'm programming is my weak point. But somebody called the other day, our office, asked him for me because of a programming question. He about fell out of his chair laughing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, don't ask, Aaron." <laughs> Where at in the Bay Area did he teach? Um, Livermore. Oh, close to the, the lab, De Anza. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the college. That's the big one down there. Um, and how, no, how long did you do that for, Aaron? Three or four years. Not very long. Okay. Right. Um, I've got another question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot now. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So circuit board or drive units. I'm aware that there are such things that you buy that are new and there are refurbished. I've actually stood next to an Akuma guy that put new two new drives in at two different times and turned the machine on him and blew a capacitor by my head and off the wall behind me on two different instances. And then he eventually gave up and they flew a guy from Japan out and he put it in. But before he turned the power on, he went over everything again. And then this guy went off and he started smacking his own hands like he had just been punished smacking them very hard Ooh. and he had his akuma shirt on everything and then he went back and he took two wires and turned them around backwards and then turned the machine on and we were dynamite so my question is is there really a difference between brand new from japan or wherever they come from or refurbished or does it just matter who actually laid their hands on them oh there's a difference brand new is brand new refurbished is it's been used before i mean that's kind of definition there's a lot of stuff that the reason they refurbish it is because they aren't even making it anymore mm-hmm. or the parts are not available or the test bench to program it is just long gone mm-hmm. so they there are like our akuma drives i send them over to a company in germany called industry part and they have an exchange system for drives so mm-hmm. i send one over and they send over a refurbished one partly because of that they're they're sort of they're maybe my older akumas um but the service is really good and the drives seem good and they're a quarter of the price of a brand new one so it's sort of it works for us to do that mm-hmm. would you though as what tony was alluding to so but would you recommend that you should buy a new one if possible compared to a refurbished one no I wouldn't I wouldn't say one is better than the other if if you want the warranty and you want Fanic or Akuma or whoever to come and do it you're going to pay through the nose 
and they need to hold up their end of the bargain. I mean, I've had to eat my mm-hmm. shirt on a bunch of stuff. And if it goes, they better get the hell back out there with another one. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. You know what? And I would think the refurbished ones, you know, Jody and you guys, is probably a, are only as good as the actual person that was refurbishing them. You're going to have mm-hmm. good days and bad days, I would imagine. But when you buy a brand new one, I don't know how much the difference is between testing them and, and quality control goes as far as shipping them out the door. But, yeah, I'm sure there's some people that can do refurbished ones that are just as good as one coming out brand new. I, I actually repair drives. We've got a um, drive repair test bench here in our office, and I've probably done 70 to between 70 and 100. I know it was up there. And I've had a few get out of here that were a mistake that shouldn't have left. So, you know, you've got to run them. you got to get them hot, stress test them. And then sometimes, like, there's a whole other electron level that happens inside of transistors that's, like, way beyond my head. But sometimes they just give up the ghost. And it's like, wow. crap, how did I not test that? And as you just have to eat your shirt and overnight another one. Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you get them hot on the test binge? Mm, I was going to ask the same question. Yeah. Mm. Here's my secret. Greenhouse. You get drunk. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. I get a big garbage bag and I put it over the top and put a heat gun in it. Really? Wow. (laughs) Now, what are you simulating when you do that? I'm simulating it being in a wicked hot factory running hard full bore. So the the most power a drive is ever going to take is when it's starting and stopping. So you can run a loop program that starts it, runs it at full RPM for 10 seconds and stops goes full reverse immediately and does that every 10 seconds or every 30 seconds and then you just get it good and hot make sure the fans come on make sure the thermal trips work that sounds yeah i mean that makes sense to me because you're exactly right you can hear them you can hear the machine when it takes off and then when it stops i think it almost works just as hard stopping that motor as it does taking off yeah yep especially that was was jody's simulation that wasn't me that was boomer Oh, damn, you guys are starting to sound the same. How <laughs> Were you twisting you? your nipples, Boomer? <laughs> oh. I was having some piss and eating some crisp. It's the one. Some fussy <laughs> chops. Some Marmite. Some Marmite, exactly. The wheelbarrow grease. So, Aaron, you, um, you guarantee all of the work that you do? I do. There are times when we do not, and I'm upfront about that. And what, what 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 sort of you know what sort of time would that be? Yeah, we had a, a customer with a really old, uh, I think it was a closing lathe, and they wanted us to rebuild the spindle for them. My father's done spindle rebuilds. I've done a few, but it's not our area of expertise. Neither is balancing, and we we kind of said, hey, no, we we recommend a few really good spindle rebuilders. That's all they do, and they got a quote for like twenty thousand or something to rebuild this spindle, and this guy had already torn apart his spindle, so we really didn't want to take it on, and he already owned the bearings or bought new bearings. And my father was like, sorry, like you can either send your spindle to him or do it yourself. And he's like, no, I really want to do it. And my dad said, oh, I have, you know, we have nice V-blocks and stuff, but we don't have a balancing machine. We don't have a way to check if the spindle shaft is bent. And so we said, ah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild it. It'll probably take us 50 hours. you got to take things and get spacers ground and set preload. And my dad said, there's no warranty. If it burns up two days later, you know, it's not on us. And the guy said, okay. No, wow. that's a, that's a pretty serious deal. In my own shop, I've had two spindles redone. One was, uh, well, 
uh, it was just blasted. A guy meant to move the whole turret in three tenths, and he moved it in three inches, and it came down and just hammered it. And so they pulled it, and they they sent it just they pulled the whole spindle, took it down to L.A. to one of the rebuilders, they rebuilt it, but brought it back, and and it was you know it did they did a nice job on it. It was a Kumo working on it, but that was that was sixty grand said and done. And then yeah. just probably about four years ago, I had my another one done. And we negotiated on pricing because it was an older machine and stuff. But you can get, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know this. You can get you can get the bearings that will work. You can get the bearings from Japan. I mean, if you're going to pay the money to have this rebuilt, you're probably going to want to last another 15 years versus another five. At least I did. And so I paid for the more expensive bearings. And But some people just, I mean, it's not like throwing a new spindle in on a Haas. When you're doing something on, on like on a, on a lathe or something like that, too. I mean, I'm, I really don't know how the hawses work but people when they put a new spindle in and stuff like that they really don't realize that guys have to come and run them at a certain rpm for like so many minutes and then back up to a higher rpm and then back down to a lower rpm and then and, you know taking their temperature I mean, it's like it's a fucking major deal i mean this guy's gonna spend hours on this on the break-in and i i've met a couple of techs that were new at this and they were just so fucking nervous because they've completely pulled this They've sent it out to wherever it went, up to Washington or down to L.A. They've put it back in. They're going through the whole process, and they're keeping track of all this data. They've got their laptop hooked to it. I mean, and this guy was sweating. I go, what's going on? So this is only the second one I've ever done. I'm like, well, Jesus Christ. I think (laughs) it's pretty stressful. It's stressful. It looks like it's stressful. Yep. Would you agree? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I I get not like over amount of stress, but – yeah, my, my job's pretty stressful. If I put in a $15,000 new amplifier in a machine, gosh, I better be sure. I did, I did one job where they horizontal Matsura, two ball screws, and they were having some real nasty finish issues, and I ball barred the heck out of the thing because they wanted me to replace the bad ball screw, and I had one chance. I either got the right ball screw or the wrong ball screw, and yeah, mm-hmm. I had a bunch of people look at my report, and, and we got the right ball screw, but that's a yeah. You you, you got to guarantee that you're gonna fix the problem. Yeah, shit. yeah. And if you, if you pick the wrong one, then you're only gonna end up doing the other one too to make it right, I guess. Yep. Um. Wow. Your um. Oh shit! What was I gonna say? Uh. Oh fuck! I've just lost it. It's gone. So I got Someone, I got a question. You spent a lot of time being homeschooled. You were saying, uh, how'd that go as far as making friends? <laughs> <laughs> not too. Not terrible. Um, my parents sent me to a, like a boarding academy for three years in high school. So that was, that was easy. Um, made a bunch of friends there and I went to high school 16, 17 and 18 those years. So I got a bunch of good friends from that and had some time ah. at college. So yeah, I wouldn't say my friends are, ter- are terrible, but also like <laughs> I have a lot of friends in machine shops that, that I wouldn't have if I didn't grow up around them. Right. True. Um, now, how did you meet your wife to be? Ooh, I know. I was I was gonna say something about that. Grade school teacher called me up one day and goes, uh, "Hey, call this this number. There's a girl I want you to meet." So what? It kind of worked. Yeah. Well, I had a bunch of like <laughs> bad girlfriends over the past number of years, and so I just said, "Ah, uh, I'm gonna quit it. I'm done. I keep picking bad girls." And this one worked out. I'm getting married this Wait, summer. What's wrong? What's wrong with a bad girl? Yeah, let's through the bad ones first. <laughs> let's oh, talk about the bad. This ones. is machinist therapy hotline. I think this is exactly. the right place to do it. <laughs> Come you know, on now, Boomer's told us about his bad girls' problems. <laughs> in the past. I felt like I was just bad 
picking them. You know, I, I oh. pick one that I thought was nice, and then you find out later it's not so nice. Did yeah. they beat you? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they beat me. Okay, good. Yeah, so you're not you, you. It's not that you you know it involved physical abuse towards you from these ladies. That wasn't no. why. No, okay. I mean, because no. it could that could that could also happen. No, were you no. scared when your school teacher told you to call this number? No, it was only a year ago. Actually, I'm uh, I, like six months after meeting her, I asked her to marry me. Wow. Man, if I had an old school teacher call me up and said call this number, I might be a little well, worried about it. But okay. yeah, what, but was the old she school gave, teacher a female or a male? She was a female, and she gave me her name, so I did a thorough Facebook and Instagram, you know, lowdown <laughs> and, and before I just blindly called. Nice, good research. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so you're now getting married uh, in July. July. It'll be a bunch of machinists there. Wow. Congratulations, man. Thank you. I'll see. I'll see how big of a life change. I can't work till midnight now all the time. I'm learning that. <laughs> so are you going to get, you know, are you going to get married on like a, like a double column machining center or something like that? Or what do you, what, where are you getting married? That would be pretty sweet, actually. Like, I, I'd probably want it actually to be on a 60-foot VTO. I've worked on one here in Spokane. The thing is, like, a piece of real estate. Spinning around and around, like, on a wedding cake top, huh? That would be pretty sweet. Actually, that would be cool. You could actually put the wedding cake on it and cut it with the <laughs> VTO. Or just wind yeah. it right up and just basically splat everyone with cake. Everyone's just going to open their mouths. And you're just going to throw it out, fling it out. Do that. It's got to be on Instagram live. You're going to have to go live on oh, that, buddy. Yeah. Now we're cooking. Well, yeah. I this place has like a vertical boring machine that's got 30 feet of travel. So we could stand on top of the column and it could take us down the aisle to the VTL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> be like a wedding in the round. That would be pretty sweet. That would be very sweet. So, um... <laughs> I mean that's 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 awesome, Aaron. Like congratulations, you're uh, it's, it's you know it's cool that you found love and um and and what does what does your wife to be do? Does she is she in engineering in, uh, at all? No, she's an accountant. But we're we're talking about this fall after we get married. She's gonna um quit doing that and help me doing YouTube videos on part time. So I'm excited to do that. Okay, I was going to ask about that. So you you have created a YouTube channel, correct? I have, but it's there's very little time after working as much as I do to do videos. What ask me about it? What's the what's the purpose of the YouTube channel? What are you what are you going to teach people how to fix their own machines or I am, but I I want to dispel a bunch of myths. Um a bunch of stuff about geometry. I have a couple of laser. I have a two lasers. I have a ball bar. I've got multiple squares and test bars, and all the stuff that was hard for me to learn about machine geometry. I I want to make it easier for other people to understand it by showing you how to do it wrong, how I've been taught, and how I've changed, and and how to read geometry reports from machine tools. And so I got a couple of machines in our shop here that I'm just itching to do stuff with. But just but tiny. Anyway, that's what I want to make. I want to teach people how to fix them, but also understand what they're doing. That sounds way rad. I hope the first one out of your gate is how to fix a gearbox on a 2007. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guess what? I've got four of them out in the shop right now, and that's on the list. 
Sweet. You know I what? Got, I got to say. Uh, like you, I told you uh, what to get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just got a, a great attitude and, and, and you're, you know, positive dude. I could see that being very successful. You doing YouTube videos on how to fix stuff. I mean, it, it'd be quite awesome to watch you and know, learn how to do stuff for the average guy. Who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. I'm looking yeah, forward I mean, to that, that could also create like extra business for you, couldn't it? Because there'll be all these people trying to fix their machines and then they fuck them up and then they've got to phone you to go and fix them anyway. That could, but I can only work so many hours a week. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'll it's have true. to call somebody else. <laughs> I, I want to help teach service techs too. There's a lot of guys who could could do what I'm doing and, and don't need to know everything, but with some help on YouTube. There's a Fidal guy who I've learned a bunch from watching his YouTube videos. So have mm. you been a, have you ever been approached by some, uh, you know, like uh, an unnamed uh, company, like a machine tool company to for you to go and work for them? Not really. Most of the, the shops that, that we work in, we've been doing work for 20 plus years and they know I'm the son of the owner. And it's pretty clear that like, hey, I'm, I'm you're not going to be able to hire me. I'm not going to work for yeah, you. Yeah, but, like, but not the actual shop owners. We're talking about like other machine tool distributors. Like, hey, look, this kid's the shit. Let's steal him so he can go work on Boomer's Mazax. Yeah. Could be. I've I've never had anybody go out there. I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm not really trying to, I guess, make a name for myself in the machine tool world. I just want to help people. Well, you, you don't have to make a name. When you start doing the stuff like you're doing and the word gets out that you do quality work and you, you come in and you make sure you leave the place working like it's supposed to, the word gets out. And and uh, maybe it hasn't happened yet, but people will approach you and, and they will try to headhunt you because you are somebody that's worth the shit. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That, that, that I'm surprised that hasn't happened, actually. We'll see. I mean, maybe I'll get some big plus job offer and I'll just disappear but i don't know that that's gonna happen i'm having too much fun doing it on my own that's what's yeah. important man keep it fun that's exactly what's important no that sounds that sounds awesome aaron <clears throat> so tell me you guys about some of your broken machine stories any any ones that i should hear fuck um <laughs> do you replace windows <laughs> <laughs> on what machine uh, i don't know whatever might be broken i mean oh do that I actually is yeah, that actually is trickier than most people think, isn't it, Jody? <laughs> you, it's amazing how good you get at it. <laughs> well, when you, you guys do your them. own, or Stu, Stu probably does them, right? Nah, Stu does them. He's he's a wizard, man. He's he's worked at our company for fifty years fixing CNC machines. In fact, like I said before, he was one of the first guys in New Zealand to bring in one of the first CNC lathes, you know, back in the day, it was, it was a big deal. And, uh, he's been, he's been maintaining fixing the CNCs at AW Fraser ever since he's, he's a pretty special person, that man, I tell you. That's, that's pretty awesome. But I mean, there's, there's more to than just changing a window in a lathe. I mean, you get the window in there fine, but you can get it in there and then watch it leak out slowly the whole cycle time and run down your door if you don't do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. That's that's how uncle Neil fixed our old LB. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, We start watching. We, 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 uh, we have, uh, I've got two in-house, uh, full-time maintenance techs to service all of our machines and uh, and to try and do sort of PM. Admittedly, Stu now is at the, the latter stages, so he's just doing the, the – I just have an agreement with Stu and he just does whatever hours he wants to do because he's earned 
the right to do that, you know. So um, that works out pretty well, you know. keeps his keeps him busy and um, and yeah, and we we sort of need it when you got that many machines. You you know that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about the the, the preventative maintenance stuff. You know, um, I do have some operators that don't really take good care of some of the machinery, which is beyond annoying. Um, so I sort of counteract that with some of the PM. As you were alluding to earlier, Aaron, the end. Oh, the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I've, carry on. I've, I got a question that, that some of the listeners might be interested in, and you guys might be able to comment on it more than I can because I'm on the outside. The in-house maintenance guys, my view of them is that they're pushed too hard and they're always too busy. And many times I'm called in to fix something that an in-house maintenance guy couldn't. And I just take a step back. I look at everything he's done. I'm not stressed. I'm not pushed. I'm not. I don't have a time crunch. And I'm there until I fix it. Like that is. That's how I work. If I show up at a shop, I'm there until it's fixed. You know, everybody has to wait. But I feel like if in-house maintenance guys had that type of management, they would be way less stressed to get stuff done instead of just half-assing everything and jumping to the next thing. Is that something you guys have seen? Um, I I certainly don't sort of promote or push to the guys that they should just, you know, jump from one job to the other. I just say, righto, if the machine is broken down, you just tell me what, you know, what you need to do it and you just you just carry on until you get it done, but make sure it's done correctly. So oh, that's, that's my approach because I feel the same. There's no point in half-assing the job because at the end of the day, it just means like – because machines being down as for every shop owner or, or person that's running the shop is that's time is money so you you need those you need spindles going and you know you need to be popping parts out and it's no point in pretending that you fix something and then for it to be broken again within a week or two weeks or whatever i mean that's not good for anyone yeah i can totally see your point though as if you take somebody that's working for that particular factory or whatever and they're on their payroll and it's like somebody's breathing down your neck saying we need this machine up and going and oh by the way this one's leaking cooling out the ass you got to go fix that next too so they i would see the opportunity for people to feel scrambled and and try to hurry and just get it done but when someone like yourself comes in and you're not on their payroll and you're there to fix a particular problem and you're like i'm going to do this and i'm going to do it right and I'm going to leave and I'm going to guarantee that you'll be back up and making good parts with what I've done. That's kind of where I would see the line being drawn. It's like, it, to me, it would be different if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's it's fun for me because it's as a tech, I get to come in and, you know, I, I get it. Some shops are I show up and they're under the gun, man. The machine's cleaned out. All the chips are out of it. The doors are open. It, tooling is off of the, the turret or out of the carousel. And it's, and, you know, they're standing there with a bucket of rags and soap going, what do you need? And other shops are like, ah, that one's broken and we're really upset. But there's three next to it that aren't running that could run the same part. And that just kind of irks me when I'm like, I ran over here to help you all in the double. And I come in and you're <laughs> so upset that I didn't get here fast enough. But you got other machines that you could have moved the part to, but you didn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, I kind of try to do the same thing too. When I know I've got a machine that's going to need to be worked on and the turret's going to come off, I go in myself and I pull every tool off and put it on the cart and I wipe it down. And I make sure that when they come in and standing on the chip conveyor, the coolant's not too full and their boots aren't in a half inch to an inch of oil or water soluble or whatever it is. I mean, I try to try to make it the best that I can. There's a stack of rags on the bench and it's like, whatever you need, just let me know. And I mean, it, right out of the gate it kind of sets the tone and the guy's like, Hey, if I could help you out something extra versus just, I'm going to come here and do what I got to get done, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, the last set of Akuma uh, guys I had come in, they sent in a specialist that didn't even live in California, but he'd been out here for six months because he'd been helping everybody else that needed training. And so while the other guy was buttoning up the turd, he saw, is there anything else for Tony that I can help you with? I go, yeah, I got an alarm on this older one. And so I didn't know what it was. It was a spindle chiller, and we broke out the freaking electrical book, and he showed me how to freaking jump it out because it wasn't really anything seriously. And the machine was back up and making parts, even though it's an older machine, and it wasn't something critical that even if it died, I was just going to drag it out and haul it off the salvage anyway. But it's like you kind of set the tone uh, relationships are key with you no matter who walks in your shop and if you got friends the service guy and when the guy left he gave me his direct cell number which he doesn't give very many people and he says you know don't abuse me but you get yourself in a jam and you need some help you could call this number and man mm-hmm. I, that was pretty cool that's I, really I, cool i learned a, a trick from an older tech it's hard to do but it i think it it gives a tech you know, now I'm talking myself up. It gives me kind of a one-up when I, whenever I leave a place. And if you're a tech as well, listen and do this. You finish for the day. You finish the job. You're waiting on parts, or it's totally done. You know, it's 5:30. You want to go home. Walk over to the operator, the head guy, whoever it is, and you say, "Is there anything else you need me to do? Anything else you want me to look at?" And it's like, I don't want to do that. I want to get the hell out of here. I want to go home. I, you know drive home whatever it is but you say that and then you they go oh yeah we want you to fix this and it'll take you four hours okay you got to come back tomorrow or something but then it feels like like i care even though i kind of just want to go home <laughs> no that's key i've had people do the same thing to me too and it's basically they're handing it to you the ball's in your court now is there anything else i could do for you before i leave and you either say yes or you say no and nine times out of ten it's going to be no thank you Mm. Hey, Aaron, do you with when you're taking phone calls? Do you is there a point where you have to say, look, uh, I need to either start charging you for this because you're on the phone to me every half an hour, or it's actually look, this is a, this is unresolvable. I'm going to have to come in, or you know, do do you get people that do abuse that that sort of uh, relationship? Yeah, and I quickly change their contact in my phone to do not answer <laughs> right okay <laughs> as simple no, as that <laughs> usually the customer will give up before i will on the phone and that's just because i'll stick it out i'll just wait i'll just wait and and i don't i don't do hours of phone support a week and i know usually who's calling if somebody calls me out of the blue and it's going to take me 45 minutes to just I don't know who they are. It's take me forever to help them. I'm not a wide open call, but if I've done business with you, if I've sold you a part, if I know I'm going to sell you a part um, and I can help you quickly, yeah, I don't have a problem. I talk to people all the time on Instagram and then they message me back or they say something and I'm like, oh, I don't, sorry, I don't remember that. Like, I talk to people all the time. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Now, who that's came just, up that's with because you? you're help. Sorry, sorry, Tony. Carry on. No, I was just, 
I talking to you and realizing that I've also DM'd you on Instagram, but yet I've had some of your parts and your business cards. Who came up with the cool slogan? You don't need a bigger hammer. Partly me. I would say mostly me. I was in a shop working on a Matsura and I was talking with the OEM and they told me that you either have to grind the casting or build this custom like fulcrum punch to punch out this punch for this really complicated cam box or in the tool changer and i told the guy i wanted a bigger hammer and i literally just like hit it with a 15 pound sledgehammer like over and over and over again and i got a picture of it on my instagram and then that day i was like all right i'm gonna do something with a hammer and really the slogan i wanted it to be you don't need a bigger hammer you need a voltmeter (laughs) 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 but that was too long yeah (laughs) it is and hank doesn't know how to work one so there you go (laughs) <laughs> no, I I've got a few other service texts that are on Instagram. Not, I I could say a few of their names. I don't want them to get bombarded with text But we have a group chat and we talk every other day. Send pictures back and forth. We're all in the business to help shops out oh, there. You're talking. This is like a super top secret privy tech group. Whoa. Yeah. Oh oh yeah. I got guys oh, in Europe. Whoa. I got guys in Australia and Canada all over Damn. the U.S. We're like a. Oh, we have names for some of your shops and people, you know, so-and-so, like, send pictures and stuff. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like the CIA. Now, now, we're getting, now we're getting somewhere. Right this on. This is like the pictures I don't put on Instagram go to this group. Oh, oh, oh my God. Oh, hey, what's, what's Tony's nickname? Someone must have a nickname for Tony. I don't know if we've specifically talked about him, but we've talked about his type. <laughs> That's good. So you, so you've got this this special secret group of like super tech people all around the world, and you're all sharing these kind of tiny little secrets with each other about like people shops and machinery, and and then you've got you got special code names for the workshops, and everyone knows what that is. But if you suddenly slipped it out by accident, no one else would know what it is apart from the people that are in the know. Yeah, like don't go in that rat hole. I mean, I mean, Fab Shop. Oh. <laughs> you know, something like that. That's just an example. Uh, have you been to IMTS before? Three times accounting. Are you going to go next year? If they have it, I think I was the soonest to call it out on Instagram that they were going to cancel it. For 2022? No, for 2020. Oh, yeah, okay. I think you were. So if you go in 2022... And we invite you for a couple of drinks and we get you drunk. Will you tell us about this top secret fucking chat room with all the text in it? It's a possibility, but it's like a 12-word phrase just to break the encryption. Damn! I'm sure Boomer knows half of it just by being Boomer. Yeah. I I couldn't even begin to imagine. (laughs) What's the password? I couldn't begin to imagine. That was pretty good. You need a few more words. But, but you're getting close. So um, what do you do outside? I mean, you, actually, being a service tech, uh, I mean, you've, you've described all the really nice things about the job, but there's got to be some super stressful things as well. Where you know, like, because, you, you know, you're a helpful person and you go into a shop and there must be times when you think, do you know what? I Fuck, I really want to help this customer out so much. I can see that they're, like, they're, they're in pain, like the, the machine is there their lifeblood and that is that's actually quite a lot of responsibility on your shoulders when you suddenly take that on like so what do you do to to de-stress out of that what's what's your what do you do outside of work sometimes work (laughs) no i scuba dive 
rock climb, some firearms. I mean, anything wicked hard or complicated or technical or dangerous. I'm a ham radio operator. I know Morse code. I love talking all around the world on that. Um, I've got an old classic truck that I rebuilt in high school and college, but I've been really busy the past couple of years, and I put a souped-up cam in it, and it's not lobing right, and I need to degree the cam. So that's another story for another day. But ah, cars, guns, um, website stuff, YouTube, I want to. That's kind of well, kind of what I do. I was going scuba diving later tonight, so that's that's a blast. Nobody can call you on the phone underwater. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, and that's that's a good point. So um, I don't know if the other guys know this, but uh, my – my daughter was saving for, or she's almost there, has been saving for a, a, a wetsuit so she can go free diving with me. And uh, she was selling some of her toys. And so Aaron hit me up and said, hey, look, dude, I just want to, you know, if I can if I can help you out or help your daughter out, I'm just going to flick you $20 or whatever it was, hey, Aaron. And um, and so she was like, oh, man, that's amazing. I said, well, Heidi, you've got you to save for the rest of this. And uh She's almost there, and once we go and down and get her suit, I'll make sure that I get a photo of her in it and tag you in. Fabulous. I hope she can find something to spear or something to have a good time. I was just free diving in Florida a month ago, and it's just out of this world. I mean, amazing. I bet. The, what's the visibility? Like 20 meters or something? Oh, infinite. I mean, it was just yeah. it was incredible. Yeah, we, that's the problem. We don't quite get the same visibility down here. Well, certainly in the waters where I live, it's sort of it can go – you know, I might be lucky if I get three meters visibility. Yeah, I don't know how close you are with all the water runoff in the mountains and stuff, but I, I would imagine, depending on the tide and stuff, you know, you, you got to get down really deep to get out of that. Yeah, yeah. But we get good good lobster here, and it's, you know, you just straight off the beach, get some lobster and back home again. That's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Very cool. So scuba diving, guns, and cars, that's just that's the American dream, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and now I, I got a girl to go with it. I mean, so you put a girl in it, it just makes everything better. Yeah. <laughs> true that, brother. Uh-huh. That is true. Um, so around about this time, Tony has a couple of questions for you. Don't you, Tony? She got a, cu- a couple of questions. <laughs> oh, oh no, sorry, sorry. I've got to do my question first. Aaron, okay. do you have a foreskin? I do. <laughs> Good. How how many people do you talk who answer that? Yes. Uh, there's quite a lot of people who say no, but that's okay. Oh, well, sorry. You know, and now gonna... he he was homeschooled, so therefore that is he has the a way foreskin. God made me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's there. It's a it's a protector. This is true. This it's is a true. it's a sleeping bag protector. Now the <laughs> the other the other thing that's like subsequently transpired from our conversations over the past months <laughs> is that when you go to a, a urinal, do you do you <laughs> piss? What the <laughs> fuck did you just say? A <laughs> urinal? It's a urinal. Good God. <laughs> do, when you have you a know piss, he just does that to mess with you. <laughs> You're right. Remember, he does it all the time. Like my garage is a garage. Garage. My garage. is a bonnet. Yeah, That's something I'd expect a practical machinist to say. You know, some old oddball thing. Oh, come now. Take that back. Uh, <laughs> so, and then, so when you're a urinal, do you uh, when you have when you have a piss, do you also pull your your balls out as well and piss with your balls out? It depends if I'm wearing a jumpsuit coveralls or not. 
<laughs> like, you gotta show off the bigger hammer. <laughs> oh, my, oh my God. God. He's been doing his homework. <laughs> oh. Okay, wow. that's all I got. Okay, over to you, Tony. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh man, I don't know where to go after that. But anyhow, um, wow, I'm speechless. So, remember, Tony, you don't need a bigger hammer. That's what they say. You but, don't. But, you don't need the bigger hammer. Okay. Uh, okay. Real. So real quick. Um, you're on Instagram and uh, you're pretty busy and you're in machines and your hands are probably super greasy almost all the time. So you really can't whip out your cell phone and take a lot of pictures or just scroll but when you actually have time and you're, you're having a beverage and your hands are clean what are you looking at on instagram where do you go i mean give us you know i'm gonna not take it easy on you what three people or sites or what do you check out i mean is it is it the top secret tech group or do you go check out scuba diving or where do you go check out what's what's the interest what's your peak oh uh, which instagram account are we talking about Anyone? How many? How many do you have? I uh, help run. Uh, I've got three or four, I think, and then I help run a couple others. But one, I oh help my. run Instagram Chip of the Week. Oh yeah, I heard about that top secret group. Yeah, big top secret group. <laughs> uh, I like checking out. I can name a couple names. Do it. This this okay. All American Manufacturing. His name is Jeremy. He's mm-hmm. you know he's not a big guy. I like the small guys. Uh, Liberty CNC Johnny, kind of a machinist I knew here in Spokane, went out on his own. Um, yeah, I follow C- him. Yeah. CNC Liberty. Alaska. I like following Drew Fab, Axis. Like I like following the people that I'm friends with, that I've spoke with, and that like I've watched them grow up. I, w- I watched them from having no machine to having one in their garage to having twelve in an industrial complex to having. Two million square feet and one of the biggest cells in Idaho making AR-15s. Like, it's really cool to just watch that super growth over ten or five years. Yeah, that is very cool. So, uh, you, you like have, you like you follow Drew Fab. I actually got to meet him at the Vegas races, which was pretty cool. Him and his his wife both. They're really good people. I'm jealous. They owe me a ride in their jet boat, and I have tried. Oh. Like, they owe me a ride, man. <laughs> That thing is badass looking, at least from the videos that I've seen. Very cool. Or in, or in the race car. I'll, I'll take either one. Or in their, their little like convertibles. I mean, they just look like a fun couple. I started following Drew Fab, and not too long after, met my fiance and like was telling Miss Drew Fab, her name lost my head. What's her name? It's not. Uh, Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah. I was like texting her. I was like, hey, I met this girl and like telling her a little bit about her and then like sent her some pictures. And she was like helping me with like kind of the dating going on. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're going to be cool like you and Mr. Drew Fab. And like, I, I think we're going to be cool like them. <laughs> well, you probably are. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're cool. Like Jake awesome. and Ashley, like I was so jealous of these like cool dudes yeah. that have these like, like hot wives. And now like I'm going to get one. Like I'm just, mm, join the club. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know, I, I, Jake and Ash are super cool, too. And, and Sarah yeah. and Drew, they all communicate. You know, it's like I can't wait to see what turns up with the IMTS at 2022. I hope that we all get to make it back there and, and get a hang with our hot oh, wives. Yeah. It's going to be a blast. I think it'd be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, right. I think we're almost reached the end of the podcast. Um, 
Aaron, thank you so much for coming on and sharing some stories and some of your knowledge with us. It was great. Thanks, guys. I mean, it felt like it just flew by. Hope I didn't talk your ear off. Yeah, it goes fast. We're just hanging out, BS, and having a good time. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Um, so thank you so much for joining us on episode 45. We we really appreciate uh, you coming and spending time with us. Um, so until next time, it's goodbye from Aaron. Adios. It's goodbye from Shane. Bye. It's goodbye from Tony. Hasta la vista, baby. And it's goodbye from me. Bye.